Now we are. We are live with Angela, uh, right? And um, we wanted to uh, get her back on the show because you got some big news today. You just released a brand new single, yeah. right? Changing Plates. Yeah. So we, um, yeah. Tuesday energy is definitely getting to me, but it's exciting. Well, it's cool that like a lot of artists I've talked to uh, during COVID, people have been very creative and have continued to work. And, you know, we talked, you were working on stuff, you're still working on things, and now you got this big, big new song. And it's, um, you know, I'll just give people a little a brief intro from what I've read about it. You know, it's a personal lyric about your journey, your transition from leaving home. Uh, it's got this kind of motivational movie soundscape feel. Yeah. And I, I feel like I, I've talked to you before about your influences, and I feel the Adele influence big time on this one. <laughs> Yeah, so I know I think that's what you're going for because we definitely have it, and it's got this very cinematic kind of uh, nostalgia indie pop feel, and it's big and bad and wonderful vibe. Like it seems like it's you know like orchestrals really flourishing. I like it. Wonderful, thank you so much. Yeah, I I've always really loved orchestras um so just bringing in timpani drums is one of my favorite drum pieces you could possibly have and it was just so exciting to watch the drummers like while we were creating the song do the taiko drums and just really create the song it was such a emotional sentimental story for me of just my journey of moving from from home where like with my family and deciding to move away to a city I had never even been to, um, which is Nashville, Tennessee. Yeah. So, and that's like the music mecca now. I mean, it's a big mecca like L.A., like New York, like London, like Berlin. It's got its own vibe. We'll probably get into that a little bit. But um, the thing about it is like changing plates. Is that a term that came from an author or is that something you came up with from your own experience? How did you yeah. what is, where did that come from? That's a great question. Um, it's something that I created. It's something actually kind of my dad gave me influence for is I was, <laughs> I was trying to register my car here in Tennessee and I had to change my driver's, um, my license plate. Oh, okay. and I was just, it was a real big thing for me. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm officially a Tennessean. Like, what does this mean? So I decided to write a song about it and say, I'm changing plates, as in license plates, and mm -hmm. changing places. I'm in Nashville now. Yeah, because when I first heard, I was wondering, like, I, I was, I like, I'm, I was talking to a bunch of foodies, and so in my brain was like, yeah. oh, I'm changing my my position at, at a dinner table and going to another dinner table because it's kind of like it depends on how you think about it. So that's the first that came to my head because I was actually thinking like, oh well, maybe it's not as obvious. So I was like trying to figure it out. Yeah, it's definitely like confusing at first i feel like but once you really listen to the lyrics of, and and also like video i will be putting out a video soon. okay then that would be it'll yeah. have an additional element of like that driving that motion that goes along with the journey of the song mm -hmm. of kind of moving away and moving from one state to another and kind of doing yeah. a road trip kind of feeling yeah it's got that road trip feel it's got that lana del ray feel you know it's got that vibe so, oh, yeah, that makes me happy. She's she's one of my, I call her the goddess. So. Yeah, it's probably like how Lou Reed and the Velvets are to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and being a keyboardist, you know, like uh, like if I get to Rick Wakeman, you know, he's like 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 you know, oh, I gotta bow down to Rick Wakeman. And become a synthesizer player. So every time I like I see somebody like a Rick Wakeman playing a board or Keith Emerson, you know, I that's who I I, I kind of try to Bernie Bernie Warren, Funkadelic. But like, yeah, we all have our inspirations, and it kind of comes into our music. And I really heard. But last time we had talked, we talked about a lot of people. You're like Anna James, you know. Uh, there's a lot of artists that you talked about being motivated by, and I hear it even more. But you, it, but it's your own take on it. It's not like you're oh well, you're you're trying to be them. Yeah. You, you feel them, and oh, you yeah. put it into your music. Yeah, I think pulling inspiration is something that every artist and musician takes as a tool to help them further themselves in their career, but also being original and being yourself and telling the stories that are your own. And that was something with this song is this story truly was from start to finish my own. I did co-write it with somebody else, um, but we did it for me. And I kind of had an emotional time when I was changing my license plates and declaring myself a Tennessee resident and was like, yeah, this is my story and I, I want to tell it. And as soon as I, this, I wrote the song, as soon as I heard it, I was just like, damn, I feel it. Like it, it hurts my heart and I want to talk to my, like I want to call my family and I want to tell them like, I still call you all the time and I think about you, but I'm somewhere new and I, you know, I'm doing what I love. Well, that's what I like about singer songwriters. I think, you know, Tapestry, I think turned like anniversary this year. And, um, you know, when you think about the 70s, great women songwriters, and the thing about it was like singer songwriters, like, you know, the Carol Kings of the world, uh, when they when they wrote these songs, it's like that, it's that, it's that feel that, okay, that's a personal experience. I mean, you take a personal experience and then you relay it in an artistic way that always feels like very honest. And I think people want that, especially during COVID. Everybody likes like a banger, like a club banger. But you can't go to the club, right? So a lot of people are writing more personal, more kind of epic songs. You know, last you know nine months that I've been talking to bands, yeah. it feels like 2021 is going to be really impressive because people had all the pent up capability. And a lot of times, if you have to tour as a musician, you don't get to put into your art everything that maybe you wanted to. But now we actually have the time to. <laughs> Absolutely. Even just thinking about like the difference of some of my, like the things that I, I write or I want to write versus some of like my performance repertoire is different because people want to dance and they want to bop out when they're drunk at a bar. But at the end of the day, like if they're listeners like me, they kind of want to turn on some music and cry themselves to sleep, you know? like just Yeah. Like, really listen to the Carpenters, you know, that will always get me in that. Like every time... I get like, and I'm a child in the '70s, so every time I get like thinking about '74, I'll go put on like close to you, and it'll get me like teary-eyed. There's no, honestly, that song is so beautiful. If someone yeah. does tear up to it, then well, it's just the whole backstory. The Karen had this ability that she's singing this beauty, but you always felt this melancholy in her voice. Yeah. Though, even if she's singing like a happy song. It still felt like this. She just embodied, embodied this melancholy that she was able to relate in such a deep way 
that it's like it's hard. Sometimes I can't listen to the arbiters, and then I'll go back and listen to them because it's like it's very emotional. You know, yeah, it's kind of like I like bringing it up. Bring what you were doing with this song. It's like the, you, you're building this up to be an emotional event compared to people who want to bop, and that's not a, it's a different vibe. But you're trying, yeah, you're trying to you're trying to convey that, and that I think that's the cool thing about like what how powerful music is. Oh, absolutely. I've I've always viewed music as my outlet. That I am a very bubbly, happy person. But at the end of the day, like I need to let my feelings out and I need to kind of express my sadder, darker side. And my music is the perfect place for that. And it always has been ever since I was a kid. Yeah, maybe we go back for the people who hadn't heard our other interviews and we step back a little bit um, to kind of go back and say, you know, like you, you had first gotten into music at like what age were you into your training or got into it? Just so we, I, I know what it was, but tell the audience again. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I wrote, <laughs> I wrote my first song actually when I was in kindergarten about a boy I had a crush on. I was playing with my Barbies in my playroom and my mom heard me and she's like, is my child singing jazz music? I've never played jazz music. And then went down and re actually recorded me without me knowing. And I think we somewhere in our family memories have a recording of me singing like, I love you, Nikki, baby, at age five. Um, so I think it was definitely always in me, even just watching family home videos. It's just me singing or dancing all the time. Yeah. Um, but I, I started vocal lessons when I was like eight years old and I was classically trained and did musical theater for most of my life. And then uh, when I was about 15, 16, once all the boyfriends started coming into the picture, um, I started to write my own songs and really start to express myself. And then when I was like 17 and 18, I really decided like that is what I want to do. And I went off to Berkeley College of Music to pursue songwriting and vocal performance to be an artist myself and try and express my message and hope that other people felt the same way that I did. So at Berkeley, were you focused on like vocal type of training or like musical theory? Um, there's definitely a lot of both. Um, basic curriculum is very music theory, harmony, ear training, all those classes. But my specialty was vocal performance and songwriting. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. yeah, Berkeley always kind of was something I wanted to strive for because I, I, I was very much into their electronic music department and in the whole like idea of modular synthesis. And I, I've kind of never got to do that. I went a different path, you know, in terms of my professional career. I'm an IT guy, but I I, I just went and, and, and kind of learned all that modular stuff over the last 20 years just by buying modes. And yep. buying you know, like Jupiters and buying these analog synths, and once you own them, then you can do whatever you want with them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then I, you kind I of admire that because I'm just now teaching myself how to do my own production, but just on like Logic and on my computer, and it is a struggle. So I admire you for all the work that you put into learning the analog synths and to learn all of that. <laughs> well, I think it's cool. I've learned a lot this year. Is a lot of artists because they couldn't physically get to a studio or they couldn't find a way to get to a studio where they could work in a COVID way, right? So a lot of people started boning up on Logic and 
you know, figuring out how to become a recording engineer, which is its own art form. I mean, yeah. you, you can just live in that zone and never be a musician. Absolutely. And, and you can be a producer, you know, recording engineer, sound person, and it's its own thing. Um, but a lot of artists, yeah, have had to try to put their hat on it during COVID to be able to get their demos done. Yeah. And, and so have you had to do more of that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, just learning how to just record, like, even if I'm not the one producing the song, learning how to record my vocals um, well enough that I can send them off to the producer so they can use it. Um, I'm also a really big proponent of doing co-writes with people. Um, mm -hmm. So I, a lot of them during COVID was doing Zoom sessions. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Honestly, like, yeah, it doesn't feel quite the same as being in person, but it actually feels pretty good just to be able to sit down and write with someone and spend some time and have that designated time to be like, okay, I'm going to write a song with somebody and I'm going to do the work and feel it. Yeah, it was interesting. I think I talked about this before, but I did this kind of thing like three years ago with this LA, um, like uh, she she is an actress. Her name, All Control K is her stage name because she's an actress she does a lot of a lot of film work like both and she did like overdubs and cartoons and you know like you know different bit parts and sometimes lead parts but she wanted to be a musician which is typical of an actor right every time you meet an actor they see johnny depp he wants to be a rock star he wants to be keith richards yeah. <laughs> a lot of times actors want to be musicians and then they, they, they don't you know, they have a hard problem, but we ended up doing in 2017 this type of thing. We were working on a record for like six months and we never met each other physically. And we did it kind of like pre-COVID. Yeah. And then I, I kind of, since then I had been doing it that way before the crisis. And oh, it's, yeah, it's, 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 it actually kind of works for me. But yeah. <laughs> It's, it's kind of nice to be able to work with people from the comfort of your own living room and not have to spend the time driving and doing the thing and carrying all your gear. Um, yeah. So I, I definitely get that. <laughs> but being in a place like Nashville, I can understand. It's like, it must be frustrating to be in a place where that is kind of like, like New Orleans. You could be like in doing all kinds of sessions. And oh, now, absolutely. yeah, and now you, are you limited in, in doing that? Or is that like, up a little bit more? Um, you know, Nashville's always been a little bit looser with their rules here. Um, I don't know if it's good or bad, um, but I mean, you know, it just depends on if you're being safe. And I was really trying to schedule co-writes with people, whether it was virtual or in person. Mm -hmm. um, actually, like with the process of the song that I released today, Changing Plates, was a friend of mine. Well, actually, I hadn't even met him in person before. Um, he went to Berkeley, same time I did. We hadn't met each other. He came down to Nashville, and we decided to just write a song together the next day after we met because it was like, sure, we bond. Why not? Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, same uh, school. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's a really big part of the process is you just have to push yourself out of your comfort zone and open up to people, whether that's your audience or the people you're writing with. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's really wonderful – um, the way you can connect with people, you know, and, and weird under COVID, I've actually linked up with so many artists. You know, I did a collab with a spoken word poet from Canada and uh, it was all poetry. And I just did background music and she did her poetry. We kind of put, put this EP together 
pretty. And it's like, you know, I, I, my first love is poetry. I mean, I started doing what I did as a poet and then I started to merge into like Josephine and all this other stuff I done. But, but this, I started just doing like my own voice before I created Josephine. And then I've always kind of geared my music to have like collabs with other women, you know, with doing doing the leads, like with the actress in Los Angeles and now with Kaede Lynn in uh, Canada. And it's all, you know, it's been, I've been very productive to, to work in this environment. And it's, it's just interesting that people are able to put stuff together. And the depth of this song, so it's a lot of, it's a co-write. So how, how involved were you in the orchestration and everything? Did you work with your producer to kind of yeah, work so, it out or you knew what you wanted? Yeah, me and my producer spent two days um, at the end of October I um, at his home studio and we recorded all of it within those two days. It was doing the piano on the grand piano that we originally wrote the song on. Yeah. And then doing background vocals, vocals, guitars, live drums. I was very a part of the process. I think the only part I really wasn't a part of was the mixing and mastering because I yeah, didn't yeah. much about that. <laughs> um, but honestly, I, I was really excited about this song because it was so sentimental and so important to me. Yeah, just to having that grand, you have like a grand piano sound. I, like, I think I try to put that in a lot of my stuff. Um, when I'm not doing industrial kind of EDM, I find that pianos are kind of like guitars. And when you want to do something emotional, you either use like an acoustic guitar, you use like a piano or like a Yamaha piano or something, just to give you that kind of sparse nature to let the lyrics be able to be heard. Absolutely. And then you, and then the orchestra, you know, those strings on this kind of the building, kind of like that classical building nature of that, you know, something like Phil Spector. Yeah. They used to build these big walls of sound. Yeah. And it, might, it might start off kind of simple and then it builds up. And then they just kind of, you know, it's just a, a technique of, of, of different types of genres that you can impose in the pop music, Absolutely. bring some other places, you know. I think I've always, I, I love listening to classical music. I love listening to musical theater, jazz, all sorts of genres. Um, and I've definitely been the type of person who listens to a lot of acoustic and piano ballads, um, especially like like the Carpenters or the music of the 60s and the 70s have always really inspired me. Mm. So I definitely do love the sound of instruments because I think no one can quite replace that feeling of a live instrumentalist playing. Yeah, it's hard to do that on the grid. Like it's hard, if you want that kind of chord, like a Richard Carpenter chord arrangement, you know, it's, it's like, he would take his, he would work with big songwriters, you know, but but he would take their initial cut and he had his own style of like reinventing the voicing. Absolutely. And he was he was very good at like taking like you know what was given to him and totally revoicing it. And, and I think that is something that kind of gets lost when you're on the grid. You know, yeah. if you're if you're too much into Ableton or you're too much into Pro Tools with a lot of the songs today that don't have that kind of 70s feel. Yeah, the I, I feel like it's just the authenticity. I, you know, I love the fact that we can program drums and we can do the things that maybe you don't need to hire every instrumentalist because that can add up. 
Oh, yeah. People who, like young artists like me who are trying to do it themselves, completely mm -hmm. independent, no managers, no nothing, you know. Um, but at the end of the day, I do, I do love watching and hearing instrumentalists play. I think it's a very special feeling, and that's why people love going to watch live concerts. Well, that's kind of like why you're in Nashville too, right? Because you have, you have access to a lot of those type of musicians. Yeah, yeah, different players, different songwriters. I feel like everywhere you go, you meet people who do something in the industry of any sort, um, and you can kind of just say, "Hey, do you want to do a co-write? I've never yeah. done it before, but let's let's bond about our heart and our soul and put it into a song." That's the one thing about being on a scene like that. Like if you're like in Austin, or if you're where you are. You're even in Boston compared to like I'm in New Hampshire, right? Every, in New Hampshire, it's all like folk music. I, I like Neil Young. I like Connor Oberts. I like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I like Dylan. But, but like I'm an electronic musician. So if I'm going to jam with somebody, I usually got to go to Boston or New York yeah. to find people who are in the same vein. You know, yeah. it's hard to find, you know, but once in a while, I do find a guy in New Hampshire that actually has a Moog and I'm like, wow, we've got a Moog. <laughs> Yeah. And I mean, that's kind of a thing with, with Nashville, too, is, you know, it is it's a very country scene. It is Yeehaw Town. All the tourists come to hear the, the country bands on Broadway. But most of the most of the young artists that I have met and the people recording music are doing Whoa. all sorts of different types of music, whether it's EDM, rock and roll. Yeah, you, that's what, yeah it seems like it's a bigger scene. I, I've, been, I've been hearing that from you, I think, originally. And you know, anyone Jack, Jack White went there with Third Man, and you know the whole scene. And then there's a big, you know, electronic scene. There's the modular scene. You know, the kind of stuff you would think you would see in Berlin or in London. They got bands doing stuff like that, and you got the lo-fi kind of, you know, like you know, grunge like like punk type of bands uh, doing things too. And I'm, it's just a cool scene. Yeah. Uh, to have that kind of diversity, which we, you know, it's not just Johnny Cash and not just Waylon Jennings, not the Grand Ole Opry over and over. Not that that's bad. I mean, I like listening to Johnny Cash anytime. That's my favorite country music is that type of music. But you know, Americana, I, I very much like like you know like a John Mellencamp Americana like the band. I can listen to that all day, and you know, um, but um, and I think it's like. As a musician, I think it's good to, to, to open yourself up to anything. I've actually worked with DJs. And a lot, of, a lot of times, you know, traditional musicians, we kind of look at EDM and DJs and we're like, eh. <laughs> are, are, but are you just pushing the button or are you, are you doing something? <laughs> yeah, but it's so nice to push yourself out of your comfort zone. Like that's something I've really been working on, especially in quarantine is, oh, this person does a type of music I'm not really used to doing. I'm going to try it. If they like it, then they'll use it. If they don't, then that's that. But at least I did it and I pushed myself to try something new because I think that's so important as a musician is we have a career where we don't have to do the same thing every day. Yeah. So push yourself to do something new rather than the same thing. Well, I found it like I, I kind of probably had my own preconceived notions about DJs, but then I was working with this one DJ and the one thing I, I liked about what he could do as as a producer, he like could hear the hook, because I guess it's all about hooks. Like yeah. so, in that form, it's like if it's about the hooks so much that he could recognize when something was working or wasn't working. Yeah. Right? And he could fit. He could fit things in really good production sense, a really good sense of that clip, you know, style of recording, but make it work. 
And, and when you're working with somebody like that, where like I tend to do a lot of stuff that's like organic or, or, or I let my mode just suddenly do something weird and then I pick up on it and I go with it and it's kind of haphazard. And then watching somebody that's a little bit more refined and dedicated, that can actually help you with your production. So I like that's sometimes I just like, okay, well, yeah, there's something good about that. I can take some of that. At least Absolutely. I don't. <laughs> I mean, that's like the beauty of working with other people and doing co-writes and doing things like that is you, you really learn about different people's processes and, and what they do to make themselves better, or what they don't do that isn't maybe you're not a fan of. And you can use that and push yourself further to work on that for your next co-write or work on that when you're on your own of like, oh, that person suggested I, I focus on the hook first. Maybe that's great advice. I'm going to try it. And maybe if it doesn't work for you, then it doesn't work for you. But I think there is a beauty of taking other people's knowledge and trying to apply it to yourself and testing it. Yeah, it's like you like drummer. You know, like I'm talking to this one guy, one producer, he spends like two months getting the drums done. Right. He just spends so much time trying to get the perfect kick, the perfect tom. And he spends like he just really, really so focused. I'm like, really? You're going to spend all that time on that? But then, like, when you hear the result, was the beat was so tight, it actually is what made the song because he spends so much time trying to get the rhythm right that everything else kind of falls into place. And then he was less. Less, less tight about what he did on his guitar and yeah. what he did on everything else because he had his beat down so tight yeah. that the other stuff just kind of came in and he didn't obsess about it. He yeah. kind of let that be more natural, but he spent so much time constructing the beat. And I was like, well, that was informative because like it kind of showed you like what the focus is. And it kind of reminded me of like the Motown drummers. Absolutely. Like if you think about like back in that time, they did spend a lot of time getting those rhythms done. And it actually makes those songs. If you listen to those three-minute Motown songs, it's all about like the Purdy Shuffle. It's all about all these all these great Motown drummers that just had these techniques. Yeah, and and they had to hold their time because it was up to them. Yeah, there's no <laughs> machines, so they had to be like like that that power in in the precision in that short amount of time be as precise as what our 808s and 909s and stuff are today. Yeah. They were kind of creating that vibe. Um, with that, and that's kind of cool. But um, so you were talking about you got a video coming for this song, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we're still in the creation process, but I have a lyric video that's coming out that I actually I edited myself. It's all footage of my move from where I'm from, Salt Lake City, Utah, mm -hmm. driving across the whole country and making it to Nashville. And oh, what happened? You dropped a little bit. Oh, you're back. Sorry. Um, yeah, it's just about my move, um, driving across the country and landing in Nashville and, and feeling like you belong. Um, and that's kind of what the video is, is it's a super sentimental story for me of just going from this one place to another. And it'll have the lyrics so anyone can sing along and learn with me. And and hopefully other artists will cover it and, and put their flair on it also. Yeah, and I think it's really cool to put together your own art for your project. I think that's the one cool thing about being an indie artist is that you can kind of control the art direction and the promotion. And that's a lot of responsibility. Too. <laughs> but but, yeah. but then you have that vision the way you want it to be. You know, it's like you're responsible. So. <laughs> oh, I love it. I mean, like, 
it takes a lot of time and a lot of work and way more than I honestly want to be doing because at, at my heart, I'm like, I just want to write a song, but I'm spending time sending my music out to bloggers or curating my Instagram profile or putting together editing, putting and putting together videos to make a lyric video and a creation process and just putting things out there for people to get to know me better and get to know my music better. But it, it takes a lot of work as an indie artist. And is it worth it? I think so. I would, I would do it forever. Um, as long as I get to do what I'm passionate about. So so in 2021, is this like this song part of a strategy to do a lot of singles or work toward a, an EP or? I think know? this song will stay a single, um, but I am working with um, some producers here in Nashville. Um, we've got four songs. So I think I might do an EP of that, but if not, it'll probably just be, it'll be singles, but either way, it'll be those songs that I'll be trying to release as consistently as possible. Yeah, so I mean, I've been working on a bunch of things besides the podcast. What I found is like a lot of things, you know, I think in this COVID age is like working as producer on other people's work, you know, being a like a playing a bass on somebody's record or doing a pad on somebody's record. Have you been doing like, uh, like I guess, features or showing up on other people's work to kind of keep busy? That is a goal of mine. So anyone who's listening, message me. I want to be featured. I want to co-write on your projects. Um, but at the moment, I haven't had too many feature opportunities, but I am trying. I'm pitching pitching different ideas to different artists around here in Nashville. Mm -hmm. try, I try and collaborate, whether it's covers or co-writing with people as often as I can. But as far as featured vocals, it definitely is something I'm trying to work on. So any listeners out there, please contact me. I would love to feature myself on your tracks, add vocals, lyrics, whatever you need. <laughs> well, hopefully some of the other bands I've talked to, maybe they'll pick up on that. Honestly, I hope so. <laughs> this is going to actually go as an audio-only version on back on the Anchor because we have a way to convert it. Um, and then this will also be on my Facebook channel. And it'll be on my YouTube channel. Uh, and so we're going to push it out. But we have a way to still put it on the Anchor, so it's going to go out to, like, Spotify and Apple and all that. So, Well, I'm so looking forward to hearing it and sharing it with my family and friends and fans. So I'm excited about this. Yeah, I mean, this song is really, it's really killer. I like it. I think it's, uh, it, it, it really, I was listening to it just, you know, as soon as it came out and I got access to it. And um, yeah, I think I shared it with my Instagram followers. I put a little link out already for it. Oh, thank you so much. That genuinely <laughs> means so much. Like as an indie artist, I'm doing all the work, sending it off to people. So thank you for doing that without me having to ask. <laughs> no, I think it's something new I've been doing. Every time I interview somebody, I, I, I thing, well, the day I interview somebody, I'll actually put their song onto my Instagram. Yeah. So that people can get a picture of like who that artist is before I actually talk to them. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, now I have this other form. You see me, we're doing this StreamYard thing. It's something I was working on since last year. And I actually interviewed like a Swedish band earlier today um, <laughs> that was like a, like an alternative band uh, from like 2006. And they came back together because of COVID. Oh, cool. And, and then so they, yeah, and they have this kind of new wave sound. 
and they kind of got this kind of like David Bowie kind of age presence, like a Ziggy. Their lead singer had kind of like this androgynous Ziggy kind of look. And it was just cool to just see if this would work again. So then I said, oh, wow, I should probably do this more. Because yeah. <laughs> I can always convert it into the audio only. And then it gives, I think people are so visual that, yeah. that we're going to start doing. We're going to do this more. Um, is this the, the, the question is sometimes like it depends on somebody's capabilities. Like you, like if somebody's phone or thing doesn't work right, then, then we, we don't get the quality that we can get on the other form when it's only audio. But yeah. you, do what you, you do what you can. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I really think that this this year uh, with your song and every song I've been listening you know, to artists during this whole lockdown, yeah. That it just seems like really deep music coming out of people. Um, I think that's amazing. I think I think solitude can push artists to do more. And it, you know, at first it was really off-putting for me. It was like, oh no, I'm all alone. I can't do co-writes. I I just got to do it on my own. But it kind of pushed me to be like, okay, well, what am I feeling right now? Maybe I'm yeah. not feeling anything, you know. And I feel like a lot of artists are ready. And because they're not performing right now and doing concerts, they're ready to write their heart and soul and put it out there for people to listen to. And hopefully the listeners will, op will be open to it. Yeah, I think people, I, I heard during the lockdown that more people were willing to try artists that they never heard before. There was, like, there was this article saying that they, people were listening to you know more indie artists. People were, were willing to listen to new music. Yeah. Because I guess they have time, and and that's that, that's always a good sign. Oh, I love that. I hope they do. <laughs> I mean, if not, that I'm doing this for nothing. But yeah, I, yeah. I hope that people do start to expand their horizons and notice smaller artists that are kicking their ass just to get to where they want to be. Yeah. You don't have to support the people that the radio's putting out and playing 500 times a day. Yeah, I mean, it's like, you know, the problem with sometimes American radio, I mean, I love Tom Petty and I love Led Zeppelin, but you've been playing the same list since like 74. <laughs> you know, or 78, maybe 78, 79, it's like the same playlist. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, my mentor, so I have a mentor, he's Graham Russell of Air Supply, and he actually told me, he was like, yeah, like they will still play all of our old music, but as soon as I released new music, even though I'm super established, they wouldn't play it on the radio because it wasn't already famous. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the kind of reluctance to try something new is so extreme. Um, it, and then even like I, I was looking at, I, I'm in some groups, right, where I get pitches. Yeah. And, and the pitches are like, well, sound like this Drake song or, or sound like this. They're very, very specific pitches that people are, wanting you to clone something that already existed. It's like, why would you want that? Yeah, like, why, why am I making new music? If I, like, if you want a cover from me, I'll make a cover. Yeah, but why wouldn't you just go to Drake and get it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm a big proponent of that. Like, I'm like, I'd rather listen to the original artist. Yeah, why would I do that? You know, because I'd rather do something that I, you know, like, I'm inspired. You're, I can feel your Adele influence, but you're not cloning an exact Adele song. You're, you're taking what you feel and you're putting your own emotion into it and now it's become Angela Wright, you know, and it, that's you. It, it's a, you know, 
that, I appreciate that. I mean, that means a lot to me. I really try, I strive to be as original and as me as I can be. But at the end of the day, like, yeah, I grew up singing Adele's songs and I was a big fan and I grew up singing Taylor Swift and different yeah. artists that it was like, they're going to be in me no matter what. Like, I mean, if you're a blues guy, you're going to always pull, pull some Robert Johnson. You're always going to, yeah, you're always going to pull Lead Belly. Lead Belly's always going to be there. You're always going to be pulling, you know, John Lee Hooker. I mean, that's what the blues is. So if you do the blues, Hendrix was doing that when he first started and then he kind of put his cosmic stuff into it but he was starting with the base of it and and you're always going to pull from those classic musicians yeah but then it becomes your own and you take that you know the, the, the whole thing that hendrix did is he put this cosmic feedback he came with these different voicings of the chords and, and he just did this whole strangeness that no one's even been able to reproduce maybe except stevie ray Vaughan. um but but it's just interesting how people can take their heroes. You know, Hendrix loved you know John Lee Hooker and Lead Belly and all those great guys. Same time period, and you just and it, and it just becomes like flattering, you know, to me. Like you you, you go and do that yeah. that work, but it's like it's not. You know, you try to teach you know younger musicians when they're coming up, and it's like it's not bad to say. That you know, I was inspired by Robert Plant. I was inspired by you know. They're like, great artists. Why yeah. not? Like, why not respect them and give them the the love that they deserve? Because if they influenced you, they influenced you. And at the end of the day, yeah, you're doing something different. But the musicians before you are the ones that paved the path to make your path possible. Yeah, I mean, it's like Bach and Beethoven. When you learn the classics, right? You, you learn any of the great classical stuff you have to learn it and it's the same thing with you know within your genre if you're a soft rock person you're going to know karen carpenter you're going to know you're going to know all the classic work of the 70s you're going to know that by heart and it's just going to be it's just going to come out unconsciously yeah sometimes when you're riffing like in here do a jazz set like if i'm a jazz sometimes i might unconsciously draw a tangerine dreamline or I'll pull out something from Sun Ra or Coltrane. And I didn't mean to do it. Yeah. It just was in my head and it just came out. And it's not like a plan, it. it's just it's like the feel. Like, Especially when your ear recognizes a chord progression, it's almost impossible not to somewhat do a little little rip off of somebody else to be like, yeah, that's like, it's. I'm not copying them. I'm not cheating them, but they, they did something very similar to this. And I, like you can only do so much with how many chords and how many notes. Yeah, are even yeah. Within different art types of music, with different types of like you know rock music or funk music, there's a certain you know that's that's the nature of that music. Like if you're doing James Brown funk, you're yeah. gonna be doing the kind of you know the Sex Machine type of structure. That's what it is. And anybody's in that funk zone, it's gonna be funkadelic, Sly, or James, right? Or maybe you'll go and do a little bit of, you know, uh, some some other some other artist spin on it, Earth, Wind, Fire, or something. But you're, you're going to be in the same zone, and so you're going to hit some of the same notes in some ways, and some of the same patterns yeah. in some ways. And that's just kind of disco. If you do disco, you're going to hit that pattern. Absolutely. I mean, there's there's really only so many notes uh, in the scale. Like at the end of the day, like don't copy people intentionally, but. If you hit the same note, it's not a problem. 
Yeah, you don't want the copyright strike just because you accidentally hit it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but uh, I tend to get the copyright strikes on my own stuff. You know, I'll try to do a Facebook Live and then suddenly I get a strike and they say, you you copied a Peg song. Was it, well, that's me. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> they mute, they mute, yeah, I did a live performance and they muted like half of it. And then I went back and like, that was already published. Yeah, but I published it. Yeah, it was like, it was me. Oh my gosh. I've actually had something similar that happened where it's like, I've given somebody permission to use my song in one of their videos or something and then they get blocked and i'm like shoot i felt like i had already gone through all the copyright rules and trying yeah, to be their, their bots have gotten so crazy where they'll ruin your your live performance you know your live you might be able to get away with it people watched you at that moment but as soon as you do the replay then they the facebook algorithm like like just mutes half the show and you're like why? <laughs> you do that? Yeah, just just to mention. Hey, can't you can't ask me. Like I can prove it's mine. <laughs> you know, but yeah, that's kind of frustrating for some folks. Yeah, I guess my, some of us are going on Twitch, not to push them, but because <laughs> they don't do that yet. <laughs> and that's a whole nother beast that I think people might not notice with the whole process of making music is it's not just songwriting. It's not just producing. It is all of it. It is the marketing. It is the publicity. It is the copywriting. It is the sync licensing. It is so much more than I think I even ever knew before I got into this. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I actually do. It's so interesting. Like the way music, the music industry is, I don't understand it. But as a podcaster, my 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 royalty rate is higher as a podcaster than as a musician. And then I'm like, why is that? And, and, and it's like, why? It's like, how can you how can you do that? And I was like, oh, fine, I'll take advantage of it. But still, it's like, it's but not it cool. I don't, I don't think it's cool because I'm in both worlds, and I think it's like minimizing the artistry of a musician. Well, especially because musicians put so much into their songs in for very little reward. Like even like for this release, it's like, okay, $500 for the recording. Okay, another $100 for the video. Okay, another $100 just to, to market it. Like yeah. it's a lot of things to be like, oh, I hope this makes me back $20. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's just like, you know, so... I started getting into influence marketing and sync licensing real heavy. And, and it's like the, a lot of and the thing is, is like every musician, we'd rather spend more hours in the studio, oh, for more sure. hours doing stuff. But then we were kind of forced to because the way the business is that, you know, I got, I can make more money selling a t-shirt. So I'm going to have to spend a bunch of time working on a t-shirt, working on a poster, yes. and on a button when really I want to work on my music, but I got to work on that be able to do the music <laughs> absolutely i mean that's been a big struggle for me and then having a job on the side and just trying to do things it's like how how do you balance it how do you find enough hours in the day but at the end of the day i know that this is what i want to do so it's like gotta figure it out gotta gotta push myself maybe stay up an extra hour at night and just send things off to people or oh this is a song idea i had i guess now that i'm done with work and stuff i can i can write it but I hope that the one thing I try to get everybody into is like, if you love an artist, right, and you go to their Spotify and they've got that COVID-19 support button 
or they've got that Patreon button or they've got their website button where they're selling merch. Yeah. Or if you go to Spotify or you go to Apple, like well, if you, when you go to Apple, buy the record. When you yeah. go to Amazon, if you love the artist, buy the album, you know? Yeah. And, Even you know? I was really working on with this release was trying to get people to pre-save the song before it came out. Yeah. Because that can increase your uh, potential in the Spotify algorithm and get you exposed to people. Yeah, get you on the playlist. <laughs> if you don't if you don't have pre-saves before, then it doesn't really go anywhere. And that's something I was trying to explain to my friends like not in music was, you know, please pre-save it. I know it's not out yet. It doesn't make much sense to most people, but it actually really changes our game. Yeah, it's just hard to get people to push some of the buttons, you know. Yeah. It's like like you do a reel It'll get like five thousand views on a reel, yeah. And then, <laughs> yeah. then they don't hit the like. It's like so. If you're gonna watch it, can you hit the like? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, I know. Even like I, I did like a Facebook advertisement for this song, and it like it reached like two thousand people, and I think only like twelve people clicked on the link. Yeah. That's twelve out of two thousand. <laughs> but you know, yeah. at the end of the day, hopefully those two thousand liked it listen to it maybe they'll recognize me the next time yeah it's the conversion it's like you got to get the conversion uh you know i think they need to do things like if somebody looks at something and it's longer than 10 seconds automatically hit the like <laughs> automatically, like, automatically program that they if they listen to it more than 10 seconds then they liked it so you hit it as a like you know yeah. Please listen to what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> Someone out there, Spotify team. <laughs> yeah, because if somebody's actually listening, that should count and trigger something. Yeah. Right. And so it, that should trigger, like, and I know it triggers some stuff, but like, you want the likes to come in, you want that stuff to come in, you want people to, to show that, uh, you know, the interest. And it's, it's just the algorithm's got to be a little bit more uh, in tune with art. Uh, Support. Yeah, especially with small artists. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just like, I think at the moment, it's very tailored for the big artists or the big songwriters. And eventually, small artists are going to have to kick the door down and be like, let us in. Even, like, well, for example, like canvases on Spotify. They didn't let people do that originally. It was just Yeah, now it was only for big artists. And now suddenly now and we now can And now it's do for it. everybody. And I'm so excited about it. Yeah, I've been starting to go back and hit all my stuff and create video work, which I had a lot of videos. So it's just a matter, again, in the right format. And um, But it's just interesting, uh, you know, that I've heard a lot of the um, big, big, uh, big um, companies kind of control the playlist world. Um, they're kind of controlling what's on those playlists. And it's, we've got to get, you know, an indie consortium <laughs> of, of indie artists to kind of pull together and make our own thing. It's almost like, like if we kind of pull our own collectives, Absolutely. then I think we could have more more, more pull with these playlist, you know, algorithms. And we can come in and say, this is a collective, like 100 indie artists. Oh, and sure. we go and we, we have our own festivals, we do our own thing and then we pull each other along, kind of like the old hippie yeah. dead head movement. And you had all these bands around the dead. They'd all play with the dead, open up to the dead, close with the dead. And then they kind of pulled each other around, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I always use the hashtag artists support artists on most of my posts that I do on Instagram and stuff like that. 
because it's like I hope that another musician or another artist is going to see this and be like yeah you're right I will support you if you support me you know that's how it should be is it's all good karma like for example like yeah I released a song today I knew two girls in Nashville that also released a song today so I made sure to post their song in hopes that they might do the same yeah I think we all got to kind of pull each other if we all get ways to get <laughs> you know, on the festivals and we say, hey, you know, this guy could be cool on a festival. You know, a guy I was just talking to in this, uh, you know, uh, electronic kind of crazy um, uh, world of Euro rats. There's like this New York consortium of a bunch of like geeks like me who like to play with modes. <laughs> and now we're, we're gonna do all these live, like um, live streams. Yeah. And, and we're just gonna, everybody can jump in they could do 10 minutes or it could be two hours. And you can just go from your studio and do all kind of noodling on your mode. And, and everybody's like, you know, you just, just support each other in different types of consortiums and different, you know, groups of, of these artists. And I think that, you know, if you look at what happened with Tyler and Cam Flogna, that's kind of what, what, what happened. They were able to pull this whole scene together and, and was able to kind of go against the other big festivals. Uh, you know, we haven't seen that because of COVID again, but yeah, I mean, I think that's a cool thing to do. You know, we do live in the generation where we can post on social media or we can do these FaceTimes and Zooms and podcasts and things like that where hopefully we can come together. And even though we're not together in person, we can still feel together because at the end of the day, our music is what's what brings us all together. If we emotionally feel the same thing, we're all humans at the end of the day. Yeah, and I, I want to thank you for doing this podcast and hosting all these artists and you being an artist yourself. Well, I found that um, like doing this connects me with other artists. And, you know, I like, you know, not being able to physically go because of my job or something. I, I, I found a way to, oh, I can connect with all these people like I'm in the scene. Yeah. And because um, I am, it's just a, a virtual scene. <laughs> but, um, it's it just, uh, I think it just, you got to give back. You know, I, I love music and I think artists should be able to present themselves with some person out there telling them they got to spend $200 to get on a podcast. <laughs> I think you think it's like, you know, you like, like the, you know, back in the day, uh, you used to have like, uh, you know, NPR radio stations on college radio guys and they would let bands come on for free. And you didn't have to pay the payola. And that's kind of like what I've been, you know, a big proponent of is I think, you know, things when I grew up listening to the little college radio stations and, you know, you listen to like an early REM interview, they would go on to a to a like college radio and they'd be talking for like an hour. And you're like, wow, I got to really hear about that band. And I said, well, you know, I need to do that in the same way. And that's why I'm kind of doing what I'm doing. <laughs> well, I thank you for that. And I mean, I think you're giving a lot of artists opportunities, like such as myself, to get themselves heard and get, get their name recognized on Google just by being mentioned in somebody else's post or being featured on something. So again, any of the listeners who want to collaborate, who want to feature, like, come at me because that's how we're going to work. Like, we got to work together in order to make it anywhere. Yeah, I totally, I'm, I'm down with that. I'm always looking to expand and do different things uh, in, in my in my zone uh, of uh, expansive sound. So, yeah, that's that's something. Yeah, I've, I've been working with a bunch of different people from different veins. I'm trying to get back into some jazz again. Okay. 
I try to link with some jazz guys. I, I found I just recently trying to figure out how we do it in COVID. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, we're hoping that once everybody's vaccinated, maybe we can put together like like a Taj Mahal type of thing. But um, yeah. like we're kind of like I kind of want to get back playing live big time, and I know everybody probably wants to yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah, it's one a show that you don't just have to have a CDJ. <laughs> you can get out there and kind of shred on on your board or or on the bass or on the guitar or the horns. And I, I like that kind of live experience of like real. Not that it's not. That, well, people get mad at me when I say real music, um, but um, more like instrumental. Yeah. <laughs> music, you know. Well, I'm excited to hear what you're working on, and I'm excited for the listeners to hear us talk about this discussion because I think it's really important that. Overall, our arcing theme is work together, share each other's stuff, and and be with one another because we're all artists at the end of the day. Well, everybody, if, not, if you're just a listener, you're making an impact on these artists' careers and lives. Yeah, definitely. Like, make sure you create like a playlist with the songs you like from your artists, and then to your friends, and that kind of expands, you know, the 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 world. For that artist, if you keep on like passing it forward and saying, "Hey, you know, tell friends when you like," because I've been a fan forever, so I always have a group of friends that are kind of vinyl crazy hi-fi people. Right, they just want to listen to anything. So I'm always telling them about something new. So a lot of times when I talk to when I talk to on my podcast, I'll I'll tell my best friend from the '70s. I grew up in the same neighborhood. Like, hey, you need to listen to Angela, or you need to go check this out. You need to go pick up this. And, and we're we're always like you know having this big one Rolling Stone like discussions. <laughs> that's so great. I mean, that's what we want. We want listeners and artists to be able to have open discussions and share the music and feel proud of what they're listening to and what they're doing. So. Yeah, I think people are so into video games today. I think some folks have forgotten the joy of music. And I am hardened. I think I've talked to you well, when we close out now about like vinyl. I, I, I love vinyl because vinyl makes you listen to an artist. Yeah, right? the whole album. Yeah, yeah compared to like a playlist, you might be one of 20 or 40 people on a playlist and you might hear two minutes and 30 seconds of an artist. But vinyl will make you listen to that artist's whole project. And then you get into their vibe because of the artwork, because oh, yes. of the lyrics, and then you get more connected because you physically touch the product. Which is actually like talking the work of art. Oh, I I am a big proponent of that. I'm definitely an old soul. Anytime I write, I write on paper, like because it gets my feelings out and it actually feels real. Where if I type it up, it kind of just feels like oh, I'm texting someone. Um, yeah. And and having that that vinyl in front of you and being able to sit through and listen through a whole thing. Like my favorite albums are mainly like Pink Floyd and Queen and Chicago because yeah. all of it super cohesive and I love that. And eventually one day when I am a big enough artist and they, I have enough of a fan base that is willing to listen to a whole album, I want to do something like that. But that's a growing yeah. process and I'll get there one day. Yeah, you'll get there. It'll be, I think it will be, it's, it's very useful when you, when you show up at a show and you've got like, you know, a hundred vinyls with you and then you set up a table and in, in the weird thing, I go to New York and if I sell like a hundred vinyls, I'll do better than I did on my Spotify all year. 
Yeah, like, you know. here, here's my vinyl. Here's also, here you go. If you want to follow yeah. me on social. Yeah, because you're able to you connect with me, put a little card in, put a little postcard, put my little poster. You know, you can charge $25, $30 yeah. for, for vinyl compared to what you get on Spotify. So once you work it out, you can do these micro batches with some of the companies I've found. And um, and you can do really well, like under a thousand copies. Yeah. In terms of how much you put into it, how much you get back. Um, when you physically get to have them at shows, uh, it, it tends to work really well. Um, yeah, if hopefully, you get, hopefully we can test that out soon once shows are back to normal. <laughs> yeah, once you get on a circuit, then that would be a cool thing to have like a four song EP on vinyl or something, you know? Yeah. I think that would be, that could help like push you out and then people kind of really connect to you. Uh, I'll be looking forward to do it. I'll get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for hosting me and thank you for sharing my music. It really, it makes an impact. And any of you good listeners out there, you're changing an artist's career every time you stream and you listen to somebody's song. And I think okay. that's really impactful. And I think sometimes people don't realize that, but you are directly impacting someone's life. Well, please look at the banner below because, you know, if you grab it, you can, you'll be able to, you know, on the replay, get to your album. And we also have the link on our Anchor podcast. We'll have the physical link like we always do. So that will go right to your song and we'll push it up on our, um, on our story, on our Instagram. So that will connect right to the podcast and all the links. So Wonderful. Well, great. Thank you so much. And thank you from Nashville. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a good view. Yeah, yeah, something I don't get to see when I'm doing the audio. <laughs> well, have a good night. That's a good view. That's cool. Thank you. Well, have a good night yourself, and I hope I can talk to you soon when the next well, song comes out. Yeah, next time, let me know what the next one is. We do the same thing. I will. Goodbye. Bye bye.